From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Danny Fleck on a Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Hello, Danny. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well. How are you, sir? I can't complain. Well, especially when you have Chief Dolphins on Sunday. Um, a marquee game in Frankfurt, Germany. By far the biggest international game I think the NFL has had since they've started this movement to Europe. And look, you can put the Europe uh, uh, storyline up there all you want, but honestly, I think it's part of this. I think it's part of accumulating to the time change, getting yourself settled, and especially if you're the Kansas City Chiefs after two iffy performances, you've got to get yourself really resettled because this Miami team will run you out of the ballpark if you're not careful. Yeah, this game, it's a shame. It's on at 9.30 a.m. I think this week, actually, there are a lot of good games, and you know, this is the one that I think might be the best of all of them. Unfortunately, I do think some of the circumstances surrounding it may damper a little bit of what the final product might be, but I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, The Chiefs are losing this game from being at Arrowhead to be played at Germany, and what better way for them to potentially get back on track to play at home in an environment that may benefit them greatly against a team like Miami, and now you have to see that you're losing that potential advantage to travel 10-plus hours to play in a foreign country where a whole week gets thrown out of whack. Um, it's tough that this type of game is going to be played overseas but it's the way the schedule works, unfortunately. But I do think that, you know, Miami's coming into this game with a couple of different things in their advantage. But I think we mentioned it last week. You know, Miami has not been able to beat teams that are at 500 or above in the Mike McDaniel era. And here come the Chiefs. And Miami has struggled this year with the teams that are potential playoff contenders. Um, you look at their wins, Giants, Panthers, Denver, when they were really, really bad, New England. You know, these are not teams that are, are right now looking at playing for a spot in the playoffs. But the two teams they did play, Philadelphia and, well, who was the other team they lost to? Um, drawing a blank here. Um, but those two teams, oh, Buffalo, you know, were able to take advantage of Miami in certain areas. I, I do think Miami presents some challenges on the perimeter for Kansas City, but their interior offensive line right now for Miami is a, a little bit banged up. So if Kansas City can take advantage of their matchups on the line, I do think that, that Kansas City can throw in some wrinkles offensively to help uh, slow down Miami on the perimeter a bit. It's funny, I, I honestly think Miami wins this game uh, because of the Germany factor for a pick. If, if if you were to give a pick, which is not your, your forte sometimes, but if you were to give a pick, who wins this game? I, I think with the short number, my, my lean would be Kansas City. Uh, I think Miami is in a spot here, again, where until they can prove that they can beat teams that have playoff aspirations... It's hard for me to back them. I understand what they're presenting offensively. It, 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 I think at the end of the day, it comes down to 
can Kansas City with some of their deficiencies on defense slow down Miami? And I, I think Chris Jones and that defensive line with the banged up offensive line that Miami has can present some difficulties. And, and in a game where it's played in an environment where you're not used to being, it's tough for me to sit here and say that you know, either team has any sort of advantage there. Now, you know, you look at this game, if it was played in Kansas City, this line could be close to six. Um, so that's just telling you the respect that they still have for Kansas City out in the market. And I do think offensively Kansas City can have some success against Miami. I, I It's tough. This game is a, is a coin flip for me. But you've got to look at the data. you got to look at what it suggests. Usually when Patrick Mahomes is, an un, is a favorite under three and a half points, he's hitting on that almost 70% of the time. If I had to put my money on anybody, it's going to be Kansas City in this game. Um, can we just talk about Jets Giants for a second before we move on to other things? The, the Jets are what they are. Zach Wilson is what they, is, is what they are. The Giants flipped Leonard Williams at the trade deadline. The Jets upgraded the offensive line. Coming out of this game, I, I feel like we have two mediocre football teams. And you guys, look, we didn't deserve to win that game. A, a missed field goal, probably a mistake to not go for on, on, on fourth and one, but, um, you know, kind of gave the Jets an opportunity, which to Zach Wilson's credit, he, he, he took a gigantic advantage of. Is there anything either with Giants-Vegas and the fact that Vegas is a mess or Jets-Chargers uh, that you want to bring up here, whether it's last week or this week? Yeah, I think we look at last week. That game took an unusual turn when Tyrod Taylor got hurt. Yes. <laughs> now, I've been saying on the show, I think, for the last couple of weeks, the roster management by the Giants has been just absolutely horrendous this year. Um, you have a backup quarterback on this team that you don't trust to throw the ball. What, what are you doing, right? Like, I, I think there, this is the point now where I am starting to question what the objectives this year have been for the Giants. Um, again, Thomas not being put on IR. What was that about? Not putting Jones on IR. The clearance of Jones before the game. Like, there's just been a lot of weird things that have gone on with this team from a roster construction standpoint. Now, throw that out the window. The Giants on Sunday, top to bottom, for the most part, minus the quarterback, were the better team. There, there was a point in that game where all the Giants were doing was handing it off, and they were still able to sustain some drives just doing that, which makes you question maybe what the Jets' defensive capabilities are against the run. Defensively, the Giants were throwing the Jets around. Zach Wilson didn't take a lot of sacks, but he was close to taking a bunch of them. Uh, he was not accurate with the ball. He made some big throws. you got to give him credit there. But defensively, the Giants were just absolutely throwing them around. And I think it's, you know, one thing you got to take away from this game is, are the Jets actually even built to make the playoffs? I'm not sure. Was Zach Wilson sure. at quarterback? <laughs> and and I, I was listening to the radio or something, and it was like, oh, Zach Wilson can't play in the rain. Well, he's in the wrong 
freaking part of the country then. Yes. It rains and it gets cold up here. You've yes. got to deal with that. Yes. And you look at the two games he's played in the rain, New England and then the Giants, that's not good because I can guarantee you for the rest of this year there's going to be at least three or four more games that he's going to play in that weather because he's got to play at the Meadowlands and he's got to play up in New England and he's got to play up in Buffalo. It's going to come with the territory, unfortunately. So those automatic losses for you guys, like, you know, can they do anything if, if the weather is under 50 degrees? But throw that all away. I still look at this Jets team and see that they have some pieces on defense and on offense that could potentially propel them into, you know, a wild card spot if, if things fall their way. Now, Los Angeles is a team that you think should be better than the Jets. Offensively, they got some firepower. I don't know. I don't trust that team. The Jets might be re resetting, you know, their expectations, I think, from their own roster side. I saw that Dwayne Brown practice this week. They signed mm-hmm. Roger Saffold. So, you know, trying to beef up whatever they can on that offensive line to just maintain some sort of consistency. And, and you you know, Brees Hall and, and Garrett Wilson are starting to look a little bit better um, on their end. And I do think that those are the two players that you have to ride with for the rest of the year and just hope that they can make spectacular plays to get you guys to where you need to get. As for the Giants, I, I don't know what would be a success for this, this season moving forward. They've got four more games before a bye week. The state of the NFC is in flux. You know, I just want to pull up the standings here real quick. Uh, I, really I, I just did the same thing. Sorry to interrupt you there, Dan. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I look at the NFC from a playoff perspective. The teams in front of the Giants now are Green Bay, Washington, the Rams, Tampa, and the Saints. I don't trust half those teams. I mean, Minnesota just lost Kirk Cousins. Yeah. You know, that's a shame. They were starting to figure things out on their end, and and they were starting to be a very likable team, in my opinion. Um, And and now you lost Kirk Cousins. You know, what can they get the rest of the year? The Saints and Bucks, I think, are going to fight the Falcons for that spot. I don't think you get two teams in uh, the playoffs from that division. The Rams without Stafford in the next couple of weeks, who knows what happens there. And then Washington and Green Bay, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, the Giants, again, to me, are closer to potentially fighting for a wild card, as, as crazy as that sounds, than they are maybe like the number one pick. And who do they play before the bye? Vegas, Dallas, the Commanders, and the Pats. You know, would, would it surprise you if they maybe go two and two or three and one in that stretch? I mean, the way this defense has been playing, I have to consider that they are going to be in most of the games that they're going to be playing the rest of this year. But offensively, it is so hard to trust this team right now. And unless Daniel Jones comes back and, and starts throwing the ball downfield and pushing the ball downfield. We're going to see games that are 13-10, 17-13, and their room for error in those games is so small that it's going to be a coin flip game every single week. And as a fan, you almost consider, you know, having those games fall outside of your favor if that's the way you're going to be playing because your, your time, even if you get anywhere near specific for the playoffs, will be short. So <clears throat> I don't, I don't know where this team goes from here. I expect them to play good football, uh, you know, decent football the rest of the year, but I just don't know if it matters long-term for this season if they continue to win games. Uh, it might be best for them just to find avenues to build for the future, which it sounds like they're doing, but 
I, I don't know. I, I just it's really disappointing. They've lost the last. They've lost two games in the past three weeks where they've given up you know eleven points or less. Uh, I don't know how else you can go one and two in those games. So, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's I mean, us. We scored nine, ten, and fourteen points in those games. You're giving up eleven. Again, your margin for error is so slim. Um, so unless they can find a way here to start putting up twenty plus points a game, I, I think this team is just going to keep finding themselves in those situations like last week, where you have to continue to defend a drive uh, that doesn't put you out of the game. Yeah, unfortunately, I am with you there, Denny Flecker, with us here on teeing it up. Um, let's let's talk about two NFL games specifically, and then we'll flip to college. Seattle, Baltimore. Uh, I I don't know if I thought. I I, th- I think we knew that Seattle could potentially be this good. I'm not sure everybody thought Baltimore would be this good in the sense that the AFC North kind of mashes up each other, and and you kind of don't know what kind of a record that division winner will come out with. But right now we've got the leader in the NFC West, not named San Francisco, and and the winner in the. Sorry, leader in, in, in the AFC North, not Pittsburgh, and not Cincinnati, and that is Baltimore. Interesting situation out there. And those two teams meet on Sunday in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I think Seattle is in a spot where they feel good about what they're doing, but also have to understand that they still have not played San Francisco. Um, <laughs> they still point. have to play them twice. They sell Dallas and Philadelphia on their schedule, uh, from what I'm seeing, and they also have Baltimore this weekend. So I mean, they 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 might be in first place for a very short period of time. I do think San Francisco is going to figure out a way to reassess what it is they need to do moving forward. Um, you know, not having Trent Williams and Diego Samuel's obviously hurt them the last couple of weeks. They have the bye to rest up. I think they're going to come out and really start swinging for the fences. You know, after that bye. I just like the way the team is made up. And they have a nice soft landing spot after the bye with Tampa Bay. Seattle, you know, despite them being in first place, I haven't really come out of a game and said, oh, wow, they're such a better team than the team that they've gone against. I, I mean, they they play close games, too. Um, they're, they're not, you know, immune to that situation. And they got some fortuitous bounces last week against Cleveland. I think they'll play Baltimore tough because I think Baltimore at times can get a little complacent offensively and not really go for the, the, the dagger. But I do think that Seattle is a well enough rounded team that they can present some issues and keep this game closer than people may expect. I mean, the line is around five and a half. I like Seattle and the points because I do think Seattle is well rounded uh, on, you know, on both sides of the ball. And they present some issues for, for Baltimore, especially with their wide receivers. I think that when you trot out guys like Metcalf, Lockett, and JSN, like you have a really good opportunity there to get them the ball in space or in a mismatch. So I do think Seattle might be able to present some issues for Baltimore uh, this week. So that might be a very tight, tightly contested game for, for the most part. And then Dallas-Philly, which obviously has huge implications on both you as a Giants fan, but also just league wide. Yeah, I feel like Dallas, every time they play Philadelphia in Philadelphia, it gets their butt kicked. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's just me, but it, it just it feels that way. And Philadelphia, I think I've said it from the beginning with this team, something seems just a bit off. Granted, 
they are probably one of the better teams in the NFL, so you're nitpicking a little bit. But they seem a little bit slow on offense to get things moving. I think they, when I watch their games, I think sometimes their approach is, well, we can do what we want, so why should we do it from the beginning? All right? Like, we can do, we can do this whenever we want, so let's just pick and choose our moments to do that. And they fell behind against Washington again. They needed some big-time throws from Hurts to get back to that game. Their defense, though, is what scares me. Their back end is not tight enough, I think, to play these types of games that they're playing. And, you know, here comes Dallas off of a blowout. And what's the thing we've said about Dallas? They need turnovers to win the games that they're playing in. Are they going to get that from Philadelphia? You know, one would say no, but Philadelphia has been a little bit um, loose with the football the last couple of weeks. So, I, again, like, do you trust McCarthy? Do you trust Dak in these spots? I, it's tough, right? I don't. I just think Philadelphia at home is really tough to beat, too. Like, I, again, I don't think Dallas does well going up there. And I don't think any NFC team really does, NFC East team does well going in Philadelphia. And I can't remember the last time the Giants won in Philadelphia. Um, so I, I think, you know, you have to lean Philly in this spot, especially with the number at three. I, I wouldn't put my money on Dallas in this game. I just don't trust them enough, I think, to, to get the turnovers that they need in order to uh, win this game. Um. Oops, that's the type I'm trying to quickly see the last time you guys won in Philadelphia. Um, Probably 2011. There you go. Uh, the, the last time the Giants beat the Eagles, I'm not sure when the stat is from, they beat the Eagles 15-7 on the road in October of 2013. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. There you go. So it has... It, 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 look... The the link is a, is a tough player, a tough place to play. But that team is beatable because they lost to the dot 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 Jets. So yeah, and, and <laughs> oh, one of hurts is bad days, albeit, but still. Yeah, it's the turnovers. You know, Dallas needs turnovers to survive in most of the games that they play in. I mean, you look at last week. I think that there was a stretch there where they had a pick six, a safety, and then um, another maybe like a fumble in there that grew the lead from 10 to 3 to 26 to 3. That, that's, the, that's the formula for the Cowboys. It's the turnovers. And, again, Philadelphia's been a little bit loose with the ball lately. Um, you know, Hurts has thrown some bad interceptions. But if, if Philadelphia goes a little bit more conservative, and I think that they're going to, in the sense that they'll, they'll probably take the same approach that the 49ers did, Right. Run the ball at Micah Parsons. Use your big offensive line to get after him. Open up that lane and, and you know take advantage of it. Then from there, use your play action to hit A.J. Brown, who right now is just on a tear. I think he's had like six straight games with 125 yards or more. Something ridiculous guy's like an, that. Yeah. Guy's an absolute animal. So they have advantages on the outside with their wide receivers. They have the advantage you know, with their offensive line. I expect them to run the ball at Dallas. Limit Micah Parsons' ability to you know disrupt the game and use play action behind that to open up the middle of the field, which we saw San Francisco do against Dallas. So I think they'll take a similar approach in this game. Going to college, um, I don't think you want to spend much time analyzing Rutgers versus Ohio State. 
Um, although, hey, look, the Rockers has had a good year. They, they uh, beat Michigan State, so who knows? Maybe they maybe that is the upset of the of the uh, of the uh, century coming. But as I look at, at what ESPN is calling Statement Saturday, you can call it whatever name you want. This is all about if you're Georgia, for example, just get past Missouri, just move on. If you're Oklahoma in Bedlam, get past um, o- Oklahoma State. If you're Bama, get past. LSU. Just this seems like a weekend of just here's your opponent and get past them. Same thing for Washington um, and uh, USC. Here's your opponent. Just move past them because as you, as you keep saying, it's next weekend where things get really interesting. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't overlook this weekend. I think with the way things have shaken out, there are some really important matchups in this in this uh, weekend that are going to I think affect the way things are going to look next weekend. You know, we start with, you know, Ohio State Rutgers, like you mentioned. I don't see any reason why Ohio State can't take care of Rutgers. Rutgers will show up, but Ohio State should be able to take care of them. Kansas State-Texas is a really interesting game. Um, Texas should beat Kansas State, but Kansas State's a really just fundamentally sound team. Should present some issues for them. You know, if you're Texas and you're Oklahoma this weekend... You're, you can't afford that second loss. Because if Texas loses this game, they're done. They lose all the tiebreakers within yep. the conference. They need teams to lose multiple games in order for them to be part of that conversation. And they're out of the playoff if they lose another game. And then you have Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. I mean, the way Oklahoma looked last week wasn't good. And I wonder if Oklahoma State approaches this game very similarly to the way that Oklahoma approached the Texas game. Embarrassed last year, not happy that they're that Oklahoma's leaving the Big Twelve and that whole, you know, drama with the with the conference realignment. Game is at home in Stillwater. They're on a bit of a hot streak here. I would not be surprised if Oklahoma loses that game. Um, you know, they they've been up and down. They haven't played well since they beat Texas. Oklahoma State, to me, is in a spot here where they can create some chaos in the Big 12. They, you know, if they beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma now would be in a spot where they're probably done. Uh, no Big 12 championship. No potential for the playoff here. You know, this is an opportunity for Oklahoma State to really stick that dagger into them. I think they're going to take full well advantage of that. I don't see why they don't show up to this game and give them some problems. And I actually think that you know, from a betting perspective, taking them in the points is a good play there. And some of the other teams, you know, Washington, USC, you mentioned. Does USC have anything left, right? Like, they still potentially are in conversation for the Pac-12 championship, but I just don't know if that defense is built to stop anybody. I mean, they let California score 49 points against them. They gave up 34 against Utah, 48 against Notre Dame. 41 against Arizona, 41 against Colorado. Like this is just a defense to me that can't stop a nosebleed. Um, so I don't know what what's going to come of that. Washington's been a little bit iffy the last couple weeks too, but I think offensively they they might be able to find themselves in this game against USC and Bama LSU. I love Bama in this matchup. Absolutely love them. I think the physicality they'll bring to this game, the chip on their shoulder from the loss last year in Tuscaloosa, 
an opportunity to really cement yourself as the winner of the SEC West with the potential to dethrone Georgia. I think they still have a lot of stuff ahead of them. Now, do I think they're one of the four best teams in the country? No, because I think their offense will be limited You know, when it comes to playing some of those teams that may be a little bit more explosive than them. But in this spot, in this situation, I think Alabama is going to do a lot to frustrate LSU, keep them at bay, and just eventually manhandle them like they did against Tennessee uh, a couple weeks ago. So Alabama, to me, is a, is a winner in that game. But some of the other games that we mentioned, I, I do see some toss-ups with Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Texas, and, and USC, Washington. Also, that that's uh, uh, Bama coming off a bye, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So next I think LSU is as well. Yeah, so having some time to prep, always an interesting step in these rivalry games. Uh, one last thing, and I, I, I just bring it up because, unfortunately, I, I have to. You saw the first rankings come out. This will all get sorted out eventually once Michigan plays Ohio State. But when, when you have a conference that's having to have emergency meetings because of, you know, the sign-stealing scandal and, you know, a report that an extension for Jim Harbaugh was yanked from him because of this, that that report has been since refuted. But it's still, to me, it's almost like, Okay, this is this has gotten the levels way higher. How does this not distract the football team? Even if this team is not going to be affected, when you when when words like tainted are being you know th- thrown out there, uh, how do you not let this get to you when your biggest games are still ahead of you? Yeah, I, I think every week this is taking on a different a different spin, right? Like that the picture of Connor Stallions on the sideline apparently with like the Ray Bans with the camera in it. Yeah. The report of the extension was Harbaugh. I think that was a little bit misreported. Then you also had like the reports from Schefter on Sunday that, you know, even if he does go to the NFL wants to go to the NFL, it won't be a safe harbor for him. I don't know what's gonna happen with this. I still think there's a lot that needs to be unpacked here. I I don't know if even if they figure out what exactly happened that Michigan will be penalized for this season. It, it would be something I think that occurs next season. But the distraction is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger week after week after week, and it's up to Harbaugh and that staff to keep this team aligned. I mean, thankfully, thankfully for them this week, they don't really have a tough opponent. But eventually, like you mentioned, they're going to be playing Penn State and Ohio State in the next, you know, four weeks. Really writing that ship, I think, for them is just about going out there and performing. And, and so far, they've been able to do that. But the, the more that gets unpacked here, I think the more it becomes conspiracy fodder and speculation. And it's about making sure that your team understands what the task is ahead of them because they still have everything ahead of them. Nothing's come down that takes this season away from them. So it's the coaching staff really needs to wrangle this group in and say, hey, this is what we're doing. All that outside noise is what it is. We're not going to get rid of it, but we can control what we can you know, within the lines when we get, get out there on the field. And I think importantly there is also for Michigan, get your signs right because who knows what, who knows who has what right now. So if I'm a Michigan coach, I'm like, all right, let's just change everything, maybe, hopefully. 
and just try something because that's that's the one thing I would be scared about if I was a player on a Michigan team right now is does an opponent have a signal for some trick play we want to use or some trick you know uh, uh, defensive you know set is there something out there that somebody has that we need to cover for right now that's what would be scaring me not the basic stuff but the on the periphery stuff. Yeah, and I think Michigan's done a lot this season so far, just given their schedule, that's kept things pretty vanilla. Yeah. So they haven't really exposed themselves to that type of stuff on film. But, you know, tendencies tend to break depending on the games that you're in and the situations that you're in. But I think the way that Michigan has played so far this year, they've been able to just run what they know they can run and not really have to show much more than that. You know, half their games are over by halftime, so they haven't really had to do much to, say, to generate offense outside of maybe what their game plan has been. But I'm with you, you know, we could be seeing who knows what's going on behind the scenes and what staffers are speaking and maybe giving something, might be seeing that their days are numbered, doing something stupid. College football at times like this can, you know, sometimes take on a... (laughs) It can go in a very different direction than maybe you thought because of the way that things are structured there, but who knows? I I, I just think that it sounds like it's a movie, really. It does, it does. This one lone guy, but does he have also, you know, allies in other places and alibi? It really does sound Hollywood, like getting the tickets and giving the tickets and the fact that there's a freaking paper trail. In a year, in an era of being digital, you give yourself a paper trail? Like, what is this yeah. dude thinking? Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's just really outrageous what's come of this story. And again, like, is it, was he a lone wolf? Was he sanctioned to do things? Who knows, right? Yeah, we shall find out as time goes on. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for joining us and teeing it up. We'll say we we will see uh, where this soap opera goes. And uh, thank you as always for joining us and teeing it up. No problem, man. Have a good one. You got it. And thank you all for joining us on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.